like that. I'm a very confident front runner for Caddy for 33 years, 145 wins now, and that's the best win I've ever had. I have no idea what you have. I don't know. I'm, how are we going to count all the shots? You, I, I can't keep track. I don't think he's pleased. Of course, would. That's, a, that's a particularly stupid question. It's the Irish Open. Of course, you want to play at the weekend. Now, you're welcome along, Golf Weekly friends. It's good to have you aboard. We have the FedEx playoffs underway. Over in New York, we have the British Open at Carnoustie. Sophia Popoff is defending her crown. We have Fionn Davenport with us. Hello. Hey, Joe. And Peter Laurie. Hello to you, Peter. Hello, Joe. Apologies to you both. This is the second time we've had to do this this morning. I made an absolute mess of the intro a few moments ago. So, uh, look, Fionn, it happens to us. It happens to us. (laughs) You know, Joe, when you're slagging me about not remembering names and stuff like that, can you bear this in mind? (laughs) <laughs> do you know what what happened is i was reading a bunch of discord comments and then very quickly i got into legal trouble because there are things that you're saying on discord that i can't read out and i'm trying to almost uh, bring a flavor of the conversation to the air because uh, we did the podcast last week obviously and shane ryan was on he was really good and he talked a lot about bryson we're not going to rehash a bryson talk or chat in any uh, great way today by the way but it was kind of interesting to see the reactions on Discord. So the beard, who I would say throughout the conversation on Discord, is definitely of the persuasion that Bryson has all this coming and deserves it. He was saying, interesting podcast, interesting viewpoints. You need at least one of you to take a different viewpoint to make fun or to make it fun, rather. We'll never do that, by the way. We'll never do that. We'll always just say what we think. We're not going to choreograph an argument. He said, let's not forget that Bryson started all this by calling out Brooks for his abs. If Bryson wants to be liked, then it's down to him to stop acting like a jerk all the time. Most of what he does is clearly to improve his brand and get more money. The list of knob-end things he's done is just too long. So that was a viewpoint. I'd say in the main, there was a degree of sympathy for DeChambeau. Uh, BJ made the point that there was definitely a tone. You know, you take the no lane up guys and they have some contacts on tour that there's things behind the scenes they can't say about Bryson, which suggests he isn't such a good guy. Sorry, I don't think we ever suggested that Bryson was, uh, you know, this one great guy. But we did suggest that no matter what he is, he shouldn't be bullied. Yeah, that'd be my sense as well, I have to say. So Mac, 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 Mac said, the lads, us, I think, totally glossed over the no four shouts, which is not right. As Joe mentioned before, a woman went blind in one eye after being hit at the Ryder Cup. I don't think that's fair. We've never glossed over the Bryson not shouting four shouts. I think we've actually gone OTT on Bryson Mm. for the four shouts. You just may not have heard everything. We called him a liar. (laughs) Like, yeah, we said he was... When when he denied, when he was confronted with it and said, yeah. he, and he goes, that's not true, I've never, I was like, we called that out. I mean, the point, and I think this this listener was taking issue because I made the point is that Bryson isn't alone in not shouting for. Um, it doesn't excuse Bryson's not shouting for at all. Like It's like one of the long list of reasons why lots of people don't like him, including myself. Um but the point is, is that like, and also if you're hitting the ball like 3.30 through the air, like maybe a four shout isn't a thing, but you just you hold out your hand out so that the spotter further down the course knows that the ball is coming in that direction. And that's yeah. enough. Like you don't even have to be shouting four. I mean, I would imagine that if you're shouting four over the crowd, you might necessarily be heard. But what Bryson and other players do is they don't even... You know, and, and when you see, like, say, say, for instance, conversely, the likes of Jordan Spieth, who do it all the time, you know, um, you know, you can always see, or Rory, you can see the handout going left or right or whatever. Um, yeah, I, I, I take issue with that. I think that's that's an unfair comment. I think we have been yeah. more than critical of Bryson for not shouting for him. If anything, I I feel I've overdone it. I feel I've said it on pretty much yeah. every podcast for about six months. But anyway, <laughs> so we'll refute that one, I think. Uh, oh, Coconuts was uh, in the mix as well. He was saying, I just can't find any way to sympathize with Bryson. He's an asshole. Dragged it on himself in my book. I hate his swing. Hate his smash it everywhere attitude. Hate his stupid hat. I hate his big, ugly grips. I think bullying is a stretch. It's poor form. But he has plenty of Muppets cheering for him as well, which is a viewpoint, in fairness, I'm sure is out there. So it's good to reflect that. I like. I think all of us sort of feel it's crossed a line. Not everyone does, Peter, obviously. No, but there again, 
you know, everybody has the right to their opinion, but I definitely see it. And I, I think you said it from the very start, but I certainly followed on after you that say, uh, bullying is bullying. And whether you um, deserve it or not, it doesn't make a difference. You know, you're, you're entitled to carry on your way of life. Um, it is also worth reiterating a point that Shane made last week is, is that, yes, of course, people have every right not to like him. Bryson does lots of things that are not particularly likable and some of his attitudes and things are, and you know, whether you like his hat or his grips or his swing, you know, whatever. But the people who are doing the Brooksy shouts and are making his life miserable on, on the court, they're not doing it because they don't like his hat or because they don't like his opinions on vaccinations or because they felt that his like hit it everywhere attitude is all wrong. They're doing it because it's part of that kind of group gang boy mentality. That's what it is. And I think ultimately that's obnoxious no matter who it's targeting. And yeah, so I, I would, I would agree with Peter. I would stand by that and say, you know what, that's, that's not, that's not good behavior. What I quite liked about Discord was we did a lot of people talking. They were all listening to each other. They were like, I take mm. your point of view. Here's why I disagree. And it wasn't descending into you're a Nazi, you know, uh, generally <laughs> on Twitter. That's where it would go. I mean, if it was Twitter and these people all felt so differently about the one thing, it would end badly. I kind of like the vibe on uh, Discord on this one, I have to say. Uh, one other yeah. uh Discord point. So we'll leave Bryson behind. We'll come back to it again, I suspect, at some stage. Shane Ryan was really good last week if you didn't catch him, and it hasn't dated at all if you do want to go back and listen back. So uh, Joe Kay put it into the Discord conversation, and I thought this was very interesting. I think I can name the club. I'm sure this is legit. I don't think he'd forge this. So it's a screen grab from Carrick Fergus Golf Club, Peter. Saturday competitions. Maximum handicap is the heading. So from Saturday 21st of August onwards, scores will be based on a maximum handicap of 28. Members with handicaps can still, with sorry, members with any handicap can still play, but 28 would be the maximum used for scoring purposes because we've had uh, kind of a lot of talk post the handicap index change of players in the 50s. It's ridiculous. Competitions. So, um, though... I'd feel a touch aggrieved if I was out there and doing my best and I was given a handicap of 34 and I couldn't enter the Carrick-Fergus competition. Is that not um, touch unfair? No, I, I don't think they said you can't enter, but your your scores will relate to your maximum handicap at 28. Sorry, correct. You can still play. Very fair point. Okay, so I can be a 38 handicapper, but I'm going to be playing off 28 as the highest allowed for competition okay that's interesting that's interesting yeah but like are we that upset with somebody with a 51 handicap winning a competition yeah Uh, see as i always said the problem with this handicapping system is there's there's kind of different levels and and ireland has to kind of stand out here um and hopefully the people who are listening to this are are avid golfers and won't take offense to this okay because Outside of Ireland, your your main aim is to get as low as possible. Okay? That's your that's your main aim in handicap purposes. Try and get as low as possible. Inside of Ireland, the majority, their main aim is to get above what they're capable of playing off. The minority want to get below what they're playing off. And this handicap system enables them to do that. See, that's a very big thing of you to say. You're basically saying you think, in general, Irish golfers are cheaters. There is a strong majority out there that play in four balls, play in your classics, etc., etc., who are playing off a higher handicap than they are able to play off and will certainly monitor their shots throughout the day on the golf course to get into a a zone where they can get either a shot back or a, in old days, was a point one back. Yeah. Can I say genuinely, right? And this is where I feel in the area of golf, I do have an advantage over you 
because I play in so many open competitions. I genuinely feel like in Dublin, there's very few people I haven't played with. <laughs> like I just turned up. I just, I have, I've, I've That's a brash statement there, Joe. You've probably played with 10 people. Oh, oh my God. I have gay crashed that many three balls. You've no idea. Like I play open competitions once, twice a week, all around Dublin. Uh, they see me coming a mile away. I have to apologize. By about the sixth or seventh hole, we're all good friends. But, you know, I, I see that withering look of the three ball when they see someone coming over and they're like, ah. Oh. But um, I would say, yeah, 100%. Yeah. I can't think of an example. So I'm going to say 100%. All I see are golfers trying their damnedest and actually losing their temper when they make a mistake, losing their temper when they hit a bad shot. I never see anyone minding their handicap. Like, I think of me, Fionn, Ivor Paul, our little group we play all the time. We're like aching to get lower. We never ask each other, what is your win? It's always, what's your handicap lately? Now, where I have to concede there's a possibility you're right is the slightly uh, schlieving four ball who are very exclusive and only play with each other. I've no way into that circle, so I don't know what they're at. But generally of the open comp warriors out there, man, they're straining every sinew to hit every shot as well as possible. It kills them. Like the notion that they're coming out to mind a handicap or to put in a higher score than they could. I don't see it, Peter. Genuinely, I really don't. I'd also add that I've been a member of three golf courses in my golfing life in Ireland. And in all three, with no exceptions, there are have been people who nurse a handicap for the captain's prize or, you know, okay. you know, okay. Saturday yeah. comp, whatever. But the thing is, is everybody in the club knows who they are. Everybody does. So they are the exception to the rule. And for the most part, uh, most people fit that old kind of chestnut statistic that's thrown out that 90% of golfers can't play to their handicap, which is one of the reasons why the world golf handicap system has been introduced is to, is to legitimize golfing handicaps so that it actually is a more accurate reflection of your playing ability in that particular week. Um, I The one where I've seen annoyingly is, you know, when you have like those charity days where like there might be decent prizes, you know, whether it's like a three wood for three wood each for the guys who finish first, it's those teams that show up and all of a sudden they're turning in like scores that are like, 15 shots better than everybody else. And you're like, come on. Yeah. yeah. I remember once playing in a, I remember once playing in one that Steven Gerrard was one of the sponsors of. And um, it was in the, back in the days. And I think it might've been you, me, Joe, and uh, Connor Deegan. And Connor Deegan for longtime listeners of the pod will know, plays off plus five, and play in virtually any condition. And I remember him being, apoplectic at the end it was a horrendous day of rain and wind and somebody turned in like an unbelievable score but played like a score that you you would be surprised to see in flat cam conditions and like for Digo who can hit a three wood the guts of 300 yards he was just going there is just no way that score is real but all these years later the fact that I still remember his indignation at that suggests to me that that kind of thing is perhaps rarer than the illustration that you gave, Joe. Is it possible, Peter, that you just can't quite believe how terrible we all are? You're like, oh, surely he <laughs> couldn't have been trying there. <laughs> no, uh, I, I, I actually think you should go and watch um, the, you know, these uh, finals, you know, the All-Ireland finals and watch um Clubs from all over the country coming together um, and the leading teams and the likes of the Jimmy Bruin or, or, or these yeah. competitions where okay. 15 handicappers and they play as good as a three handicapper. Um, and, and, and that happens so many times. And okay. so the, the most frustrating the, thing that I would think coming from the likes of yourself is, you know, you, you strive to get low, okay? And you, you turn up at your club competition um, and you have a great day. You play really, really well, and you have 40 points, right? You're delighted with yourself. You're in with a chance. And the winner has 49 points. Yeah. No, I get you. you. Know? Look, I, I, my highest score this year has been 41. And, you know, God, I'd find, like, I'm really on the edge. I'd find it so much harder to get better than that. And 
Yeah, look, I'll admit when you see the winning score then was 46, you do think, my God, how is that possible? But I, I just assume in those cases, it's somebody who's like getting started in the game and they're coming down rapidly. So they're having those big days. You know, I think that would plateau out. Um, I take your point on the on the Jimmy Bruin stuff because I don't really play just because my schedule, I can't, I'd lo- God, I'd love to, that inter-club stuff. So maybe at that level, it goes on a bit more. As opposed to why would you bother for you to win your Saturday camp comp in yeah, yeah, ten, yeah. ten weeks time? That's you know why would you go on this weird ten week plan to lower your, to up your handicap to win and you know a couple of months at your Saturday comp? That's kind of pointless. So to be fair, Peter, I'm, I'm not as au fait with the Jimmy Brune stuff. So if you're seeing that kind of thing going on there, then maybe it does go on. I'll say no more. <laughs> about that you're a, you're a cynical type though to be fair i mean if i had to guess anyone would think that that was going on it would I mean you absolutely yeah. yeah but i i think i'm a realist rather than a uh too cynical i think you see things more rosy than i do well i just think golf you know like what is the point of playing off 14 no one ever asks anyone you know when we're all at these social events and you find a like-minded golf lover have you ever said to that person, oh, yeah, and what's your uh, resume? What have you won? See, yeah. what's your handicap? That's what defines you. I, I, like, I would rather play See, off. So I'm off eight at the moment. I would rather play off five and never win another competition than play off eight and win a competition once a year. If you get me. I'd rather get as low as possible, play the best golf possible. You're not winning the Masters. You're winning your Saturday competition. It's forgotten by tea time. Uh, not for some people, it's not. Well, maybe. See, so, uh, I, I think yeah. where where my skept- skepticism comes from is um, I've watched the best players in the world. Um, some of the best players, maybe not in the world, but some of the best players um, not behave in, in, in a correct manner. And therefore, if they do it, handicap golfers are going to do it as well. Fair enough. No, that's a fair point. Well, that's an interesting one. Curious for people's thoughts on that. So Carrick Fergus, uh, the most you're getting is 28 shots and they're putting that in from uh, this week because I guess they feel people off 54 and lower is uh, too much of an advantage. There was a, a shout, by the way, we'll get to this later on. I just like this guy's name. Ray's Creek Boat Tours. That's a proper fan. That's a yeah. big Fion D fan there. I, I love that guy. Or girl, He's, whoever he it is. He said, uh, would be great to hear the pod discuss Ricky Fowler. We'll do that. We'll do that because um, that situation is extraordinary. So uh, what else is going on? We had uh, the Wyndham six-man playoff. It feels like we're on a real run of playoffs at the moment, doesn't it? Like a tournament just can't end. Yeah. So um, six-man playoff, Kevin Kisner gets it done. We had Kevin Na, Kim C. Wu, Adam Scott, Roger Sloan, and Brandon Grace all in that playoff for Kisner. It's his fourth PGA Tour win. 10th title overall. Here's a stat, fellas. Here's a stat. This just shows how hard it is to win. If you're on the last time a 54-hole leader went out and got it done the next day on the PGA Tour, Phil Mickelson at Kiwa. Oh, wow. Since then, no 54-hole uh, leaders been able to hold it together. Kind of an amazing statistics. Um, Kevin Kisner has been in five playoffs until last Sunday and lost all of them. Uh, wow. And he's no slouch. This is a guy who also won the, you know, the match play at the Del, you know, the WGC match play. Um, yeah, so played five, lost five until Sunday, and then won in the second hole. So I can't say I was. I mean, I was happy for him, and uh, but I'm, 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 bo- I'm building up towards the, this week and, and the start yeah. of the actual FedEx. He's a good match player. Kisner, there's some Ryder Cup talk around him now. Yeah. Did anybody take pleasure in um, Adam Scott missing that short one to win? I feel like that's a rhetorical question. No, well, I, I'm just wondering. Clearly. Somebody with, with no. a, a, an no, exceptionally like long putter, which is totally against the uh, ethos <laughs> of the game, um, comes along and misses and you go, well, you know, you deserve that really because, oh. you know, get that putty putter and shove it somewhere that, you know, I don't know. Oh, man. Well, I hadn't looked at it that way, but uh, yeah, okay. The first Open I was ever at was uh, St. Anne's, Royal Lytham St. Anne's, where poor old Adam gave it away on the 18th. Ernie Els took mm. uh, 
took driver, I think, or maybe it was three wood, but brought the bunkers into play. Steve Williams, best caddy in the world and all that, Steve. Well, it was and, the best uh, win, wasn't it? Messed up. Well, no, he lost. Yeah. He took out driver at three wood and the bunker yeah, yeah. and then made bogey and Ernie Els kind of swooped in. Ernie Els felt dreadful. Never seen an open winner look so because so, they used to share yeah, a jet together did, a lot. Didn't he? Yeah. That's a terrible way to win. Uh, you, you just sit down there back I mean, there, Adam, and, and cry. I'll sit up the front here and drink the champagne. <laughs> did you see his, his approach to the second, to three feet, was was some shot by Kisner. Um, what I enjoyed was the sheer joy and politeness once he'd hold the winning putt. Like he literally shook everybody's hand. It was it was it was just lovely. It was uh, and yeah, ah, Kisner seems like a nice enough fella. Like he's yeah. in the Harris English school of uh, guys you just like, even if you're ne- they're not necessarily in your top five. I root for this guy golfer, but you know when you see their names, you're like, yeah, he seems like a decent old sort. Yeah. So it was good. I mean, there was a lot of sport last week between Dublin Mayo mm-hmm. and then Premier League was back. And so I, and then this started a bit early because of uh, the weather situation. So I, I don't know if it gripped everybody massively. We're definitely up in a notch now. So Northern it, Trust, it, well, Liberty National. But even the TV ratings, 70. Joe. I know. Uh, well, look at you. Look at you. tanked horribly. CBS, because it went to playoffs, the CBS went to tape. They didn't mm. do it live. And so yeah. it, it ended up with a 1.0 on the on the ratings, which is terrible. So <laughs> only did, did anybody um, catch um Doug Barron's um celebration win in the Champions Tour? No. Guys, you should watch this. This is and you know, because the TV is on the background here and I'm doing a good few hours in Spawell, um it, it's just hilarious. It really is. He 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 runs around the green, punching the air like he's like a madman, uh, having won uh, on the Champions Tour. This is just priceless. Check it out. Okay, uh, so I mentioned Northern Trust, Liberty National. Uh, so top seventy here. Then BMW Championship in Maryland. Following week is when we really get down to who makes it through to top thirty at East Lake in Atlanta. And of course, since uh, 2019, obviously, player with the most points starts on 10 under at Eastlake and next best is on 800. And then we go like it was quite weird to hear, um, you know, I was listening to Billy Horschel being interviewed and it's it's kind of weird how they all are talking about it now. But I like it because like, it is more digestible. He's like, got to be going into Eastlake on four under. Four under is where I need to be if I'm going to catch Brilliant. 10. I, I actually, I get the gimmickry and people think, oh, it's a little bit, you know, I, I actually think this is way better. Let's get to Eastlake. You're on your 10 under, you're on your four under, you're an eight under. Let's go. And where I think it's really interesting is generally you would say, oh my God, how's four under going to catch 10 under? But of course, generally in a tournament, if somebody's on 10 under and somebody's in four under, the player on 10 under is playing very, very well and is in really good form and feeling really good about things. Whereas obviously at Eastlake, you can be so, so form and suddenly you're pitching a 10 under and all the pressure of being a leader. And then the guys in four under could be coming in off a really hot week and they're feeling good and they start hunting you down. I, I think it's a fascinating dynamic. I don't know how you would like it as a pro, Peter, but I prefer it to the, you know, Colin Morinkawa is on 15,000 points. Someone else is on 14,387 points. I mean, come on. Yeah, I think it works much better. You know exactly where you stand in the tournament straight away. You know, you're ahead. You've got a, whatever, six-shot lead. And now you have four rounds to prove that you're good enough to win this thing. So, yeah, yeah I, I actually quite like it. You get to park all the bullshit all week of like how many points they're on. Because that goes all the way yeah. through till Sunday. Do you remember when Woods won the Tour Championship in 18 and Justin mm-hmm. Rose obviously won the overall thing? Or there was some, it was, it but it was all very confusing. Yeah, you needed a constant graphic. It was jumping around a bit and it was just a bit messy. That was the last year of like points all the way. And I think this is much cleaner. So John Ram's there. He's the favorite to win. Significant favorite, by the way. Nine to one. Jordan Speed is 16s. Roy McIlroy is 18 to one. Colin Morikawa, 18 to one. Dustin Johnson, 18 to one. And then it goes out to Brooks and Xander. And Bryson DeChambeau, 25 to one. So all the big boys are there. This should be really good. You wanted to mention Speed, Fionn? 
Yeah, so Speeth obviously is one of the most popular and bankable athletes in golf and one of the most, you know, one of the genuine superstars of the game that can we say he transcends golf and has kind of entered the sporting, the general sporting lexicon? I'm not sure we can. Let's no, test I, that I out. Agree. I, I, I don't yeah. think we can, actually. I don't if, think. if you were to ask yes. a, a random non-golf or someone who's not interested in golf in the US, like uh, who Jordan Spieth is, I wonder if people go, oh, yeah, 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 the golfer. However, in golfing terms, he is definitely one of the bankable stars. And his list of sponsors is blue chip and impressive AT&T, Under Armour, Rolex, Titleist, NetJets. Um, always got to have that private plane as a sponsor. And to which you can now add a betting company, FanDuel, who, uh, so Steve DiMeglio, who wrote in Golf Week, he wrote a story about it. So he has just signed a deal uh, to have this uh, betting company, FanDuel, sponsor him. And uh, so he was talking to DiMeglio and he, Spieth this is, and he said, in my rookie year, this wouldn't have been something that would have been on the radar given where sports gaming was back then. But look at where it has gone in the last couple of years. It was pretty exciting to look into it, which is corporate speak for, you know, the money was good. Um, yeah. uh, and then he says, golf has a unique space to get into gaming, to help bring more eyeballs into the sport, bring other sports fans into being golf fans. And with FanDuel, being the biggest and doing the best job at responsible gaming, it made a lot of sense. To which my first thought was, it's like, wow, Spieth is getting into bed with, with, with a gaming company. And, and look, you know, without over-egging the custard, the fact is, is that there's, there's always like a question mark over the ethics of, of sports betting and what it does for gambling, so on and so forth. However, the story then, and this is where the story gets interesting, it also notes that Commissioner Jay Monaghan played a role in convincing Spieth to sign the deal. Wow. So I thought this was quite interesting. So Spieth then says that Monaghan convinced him that golf could not refuse to welcome gaming, considering its steady growth throughout the sports world. Uh, Spieth also added that the tour's movement into gaming gave us the confidence as individual players to want to search out and look for opportunities in this space now you don't have to read between the lines what becomes clearly apparent and i have no doubt that steve demeglio did his due diligence and research so he has the story really kind of nailed on is, is that it's not just individual stars in golf being approached by betting companies and saying look we want to sponsor you is that the pga tour and its commissioner jay monaghan is actively encouraging players to sign sponsorship deals with gaming companies now that's a very interesting departure or certainly a very interesting development it's not a surprise because as we've talked about we even mentioned it last week um you know gaming companies are becoming bigger players all the time in golf and and betting is important so but i, I just thought it was an interesting interesting story just from that perspective that you have the actual commissioner going no no please sign with these people they're going to pay you a load of money and it'll help you know build the fan base of golf yeah i think jay monaghan has been very smart here um and, and so has fan base in 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 um picking the player that they are that they are going to start with fan jordan speed fan Joe, apologies um jordan speed is squeaky clean um, he's your blue-eyed boy. He, like, if Fangio went with Mickelson, what would we all think? Um, <laughs> or, or, or somebody like that. Um, yeah, I would, I would so think he owes I, the money. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, so Thank I you, think it's day. a smart move for for everybody concerned, but this is going to happen. I remember sitting on committee meetings with the European Tour and asking the question, you know, why have we stopped or why are we backing away from betting companies coming into the sport when we're struggling to have sponsors, sponsor events and, and you know, minimum prize funds and et cetera, et cetera. When the betting companies were banging down the doors um, at that time to get into golf. 
Um, and, and now they're being let in and, and they're being welcomed with open arms. And what was the answer back then, Peter, as to why they weren't? Uh, we are golf. We're above that. We are, we're better than that. We, okay. we don't want us. We, we see ourselves. Um, and, and I suppose, you know, in everything, Joe, they'd probably be quite worried about it because once gambling comes into your sport, then you have the possibility of, of a, um, other things taking place where, you know, games being fixed, matches being, it, it's happened in other sports. So why not, why won't it happen in golf? Um, where somebody plays poorly on purpose or wins a two ball or three ball or whatever it may be. So, um, you know, it, it, it opens all the doors for the nastiness of, of, mm. of the gambling side of this world. Um, you know, we can all see gambling as, as, as being, you know, a bit of fun, bit of crack, uh, and, and which it is. But unfortunately, there is the dark side to it, and a, um, that in itself is very hard to control. Yeah, and the dark side I, is um, you speak to any addiction expert, and they'll say that gambling addictions has risen exponentially in the last few years, particularly since the arrival of you know betting on your phone and, and just the, the ready availability of being able to put money down. Uh, so. Peter, what you're highlighting is the twin trouble of gaming companies. And it's it's not just that it opens up the door to possible corruption, although whether a game a gaming company doesn't have to sponsor a golfer to to, you know, I mean, if you're American, the most famous one, of course, is the 1919 World Series, which was fixed by mafia gamblers, uh, most famously the Black Sox scandal. But um, but then there is the other issue, which is the reason why we don't see uh, sporting events sponsored by drinks companies or cigarette companies. So, you know, uh, and so it goes. But the PGA clearly feels that this is the way forward, particularly in an industry that is looking always for uh, bigger and bigger streams, revenue streams. Mm-hmm. And, and the gaming companies, they have tons of money to spend. So, No, they sure do. I do detect a slightly different attitude towards, I know you could call them gaming companies, I guess, because it's a bit more than gambling. I'll say gambling companies. But I do detect a um, slightly different attitude in the States to over here. And I guess that's because we're coming at this from very different starting points, as in it was, you know, ostensibly illegal over there. And it was, you know, mm. a, a kind of the preserve of Vegas. And now... In recent years, it's just opening up. And I suppose the advent of online gambling has kind of made that inevitable. So I think there's a sense of excitement about it over there. And there are fewer of the cautionary tales and fewer examples of bookies behaving in unethical ways around people who might be suffering from gambling addictions. And I notice it with, you know, the other, I'm not going to, I don't mention them because it seemed like it's an attack or whatever, but there's no, you know, another golf podcast and the way they talk about betting odds, there's no sense of like, there's a downside to this. There's a great excitement in, in their cells and it's, you know, almost, um, this is great. We can all gamble and these are the best and the best odds and that kind of stuff. Whereas on this side of the pond now, I think for two reasons, I think because you can't watch a football match now without seeing like Ray Winston doing a gambling ad every five seconds, you can't, watch a Premier League match without at least one of the shirt sponsors being a gambling company. You can't avoid it in the hoardings. You know, I would think if you're an addict, gambling addict, it must be actually very difficult to watch a lot of sport. You know, something like GAA has kind of managed to stay away from it. But the Premier League jumps out as, you know, totally gone. Um, you know, hook, line and sinker into that world. So I, and, and the second point is it's very unregulated over here. Like it's been, it's really shocking. It's been in Irish Parliament for, say 10 years and still they haven't managed to put any regulations in. There aren't any regulations, you know, it's self-regulated and uh, we're told it's now coming 2023. But I mean, honestly, people writing pieces about this for 15 years. So I think there's, um, it's massively unpopular. I would say I don't, uh, people don't like it. They think it's got out of control. And look, I say this with the football showing off the ball before anyone needs to point it out to me. I understand is, um, sponsored by Paddy Power, so I understand um, Off the Ball sp- has a betting sponsor as well. But my sense of Jordan Speed's move is I don't think over in the States 
it has the same connotations that it currently has over here and in the UK, where I think people have had their fill of it. I think in the States, it's more of a, oh, cool, gambling. Yeah, a bit of excitement. Startup, yeah. I, I, mm-hmm. I do, I, I sense we're coming at it from different starting points. So I think it could be very interesting to revisit in four or five years and see yeah. if there is a backlash over there with the likes of Speed and others. So that'd be my reading of it. Because I was surprised yeah. when you said beforehand that Speed had jumped in. Fionn. I thought he doesn't need that. Yeah. Well, uh, well it's just uh, on the European said, tour. It's clean. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah. Uh, on the European tour, they brought out this anti-gambling um, commission. So, yeah, as a player or as a caddy, you're not allowed to gamble at, on the sport itself, on golf sure. at all. Um, now it, it happens all the time, but, um, you're not meant to, you're meant to have signed a form at the start of the year as part of your membership, as the caddies sign their thing as part of their membership to the caddies association, you are not allowed gamble. So, yeah. um, I wonder will that come into the American tour eventually. Like even, um, Kieran Trippier. I mean, football is, is so wary of this. Kieran Trippier told his mates that he was probably on the move to Atletico in his WhatsApp group. And a couple of them put a few quid on Kieran Trippier to Atletico and he got a massive ban. Didn't bet himself, <laughs> you know? So like that's how strict it's gone in within football. Yeah. And um, the Welsh coach, former British and Irish Lion Welsh player, Rob Howley was uh, banned for betting on results, admittedly involving the Welsh team, which was um, not the wisest move. But yeah, that will come in and golf. Like insider info. The caddies know so much. It's in, I, I think in, in that respect, it's insider info. And maybe to a degree, if you're participating, if you have a bet on Adam Scott and you're a caddy suddenly paired with Adam Scott, you could affect his round. You could slow things down or speed things up or, you know, cough at the appropriate time, all that stuff. So uh, I don't make sense. Or as that they we can. were saying last week, you could, uh, you know, you could plant fans to kind of yell stuff while a player is playing and try and put them off their game. You know, there's lots of ways of manipulating yeah. a well, result. That, to be fair, that that could still happen. Like a betting syndicate could do that for sure. sure. Like absolutely, we we could bet on Bryson to lose on the Sunday, and then organize twenty people to yeah. share Brooksy at him every ten seconds. So uh, there we You're go. You're absolutely right. You don't have to be. You don't have to be involved. Yeah, no, to, to no. do that. A few other bits and pieces. So, uh, women's open week at Carnoustie. We had the drama of Sofia Popov last year. Leona Maguire was 28th at the Scottish Open. So, I think she still comes in here in very decent form. The weather last year was horrific. It doesn't seem like it's going to be as bad this year. And by the way, the purse has increased. So, $5.8 million. The winner will take home 870000 Not bad. And then there'll be another million added to the purse next year at Muirfield. So, they're really, in fairness, the RNA supporting that tournament and making it very yeah. blue chip. I suspect I'll watch quite a bit of this, I would think, over the uh, next couple of days. I really enjoyed it last year. It was just one of those uh, horrific weather events where you get to watch the players suffer. Um, right I, up I my street. Uh, it, it's clearly very good news for the, uh, the Women's Open. But I wonder if the new purse of 5.8 million uh, well, it's 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 point it's you know it's three hundred grand bigger than the U.S. Open women's purse of five and a half million. So they pointedly have just they've set a new benchmark. So uh, that was quite interesting. You think there'll be an arms race amongst the golfing majors in the women's event? Yeah. It's happening in the men as well. They all want to be the highest paying major, you know. The highest paying so major, yeah, for sure. That will happen in women's golf. So uh, we'll talk about that in a bit more depth next week. We must uh, try now that she's kind of, things will calm down for her, I think, a bit. We'll try and chat to Leona Maguire about the last couple of months because it's been a pretty amazing time for her. So uh, fingers crossed she goes, well, Nellie Cord is off to a good start, I saw. It's only Thursday and it's um, not even one o'clock yet, but I saw she was like three or four under through 10. So uh, she's in red hot form at the moment. Shout out to Tom Coyne and Bill Murray. Have you seen this? Oh, yeah, yeah. So uh, Tom Coyne is a bit of a legend, really, in that he wrote this book back in, I think, 2008, 2009 territory, a course called Ireland. And he had played Ireland a bunch of times with his dad, had a real love affair, American love affair with Ireland and Irish golf and the hospitality. And he did this amazing thing where he 
played a bunch of courses generally along the west coast you know that great stretch but he walked from course to course didn't drive carried his bag and detailed the experience and the people he met and what he found and he would be credited i think what really put in karn on the map and his book has really you know led to an influx of players to karn because it's incredibly remote and hard to get to and you know a little not ragged is the wrong word but like very um it's a small team there kind of keeping it going and yet but there's something kind of magical about it like it's, after i watched him and the no lane up guys play car i thought i've got to go there i'd love to go there so if anyone wants to go to car and play uh, i'll do that uh so he has dragged i meant you two not like randomers on discord Sorry, I was just though who knows okay. oh, <laughs> not anybody and i'll play open comms with anybody i'm not gonna go to Karn. um but he has dragged bill murray it seems over and they are currently making a documentary on irish golf and they're playing amongst other places some questionable choices in here i'm not going to name names but they're playing in no particular order this was where i copied and pasted it from the article druids glen the O'Meara course at carton house they're playing Carn Golfling, so I wasn't surprised to see that there with Tom. Uh, Port Salon. They're playing the new St. Patrick's Links at Rossapenna. They're playing yeah, Cruise which I hear Island. Very good, very good things about Critch. Right. Critch. I've Critch never Island heard of that, should a, I? It's a nine hole course. I played it a bunch of times. It's superb. It's so yeah, scenic where, where is and it? lovely. Where is it? Uh, it's west of Dunfanaghy, not a million miles away from Dunlow. Uh, okay. I can't remember exactly. It's Burtonport, near Burtonport, maybe. And I'm sure a listener will correct me, but I haven't played it for a good number of years. But it's gorgeous. Critch is really, it's a little Donegal secret. It's it's terrific. Yeah, well, it's funny. I mean, this is the publicity that someone like Bill Murray brings. They're playing Enniscrown, Connemara, Galway Bay, and of course, Ballybunion. So they're making that at the moment. They're going around on a bus. They were on the Ray Darcy show yesterday. And uh, I guess we're going to see a documentary. Tourism Ireland have been all over it. They've supported it. They just can't believe their luck. It's like, oh, my God, this is just a jackpot for Irish golf. So um, we had been talking to Tom Coyne anyway about getting him on the show because he's a he's a cool dude. I kind of There's something, I don't know, um, interesting about someone who decides to walk from course to course, write about the experience, loves golf that much, like had played a bunch with his dad. There was kind of a spiritual aspect of the whole thing. So he'd be really good good to get on the podcast, just like total love affair with Irish golf. And like I said, that book did great things for Karen. So that is happening at the moment. Yeah, we might as well throw Bill Murray onto the podcast as well. Sure, he's staying in Druid's Glen anyway. So. Is he? I, I was talking to, yeah, I was talking to uh, Marcus Doyle there. So Drew's Glen are going through a massive revamp. Um, their new owners are putting massive amounts of money into the course to get a, uh, hopefully get the Irish Open for a couple of years. Um, oh. So they have, um, they have a course redesigned to go and they um, really put money, a lot of money into the facilities. So, Would you like to ask Marcus to ask Bill to take a call? Yeah, Did, I, I listened to him yesterday. On uh, he was on Ray Darcy, and uh, yeah, he was like kind of offbeat. <laughs> like, he hates media. I think I think yeah. he now is at the point with media where he enjoys making it thoroughly awkward for the interviewer and yeah. like breaking breaking every unwritten rule of those yeah. scenario, of those situations and <laughs> just enjoying the discomfort and like. Yeah. wanting it to be a shit show and and i think he's at that stage now and i i am all for it once i'm not interviewing him i think he, <laughs> like he just has so little regard for the media and the fakeness that's of it, all. it. He's, you know Ca- oh Catherine bill how are you Thomas enjoying Ireland? i didn't even hear the interview and i can imagine the questions and i can just imagine his disdain <laughs> it was, for well it was Catherine thomas is filling in for ray right. uh for the summer for whatever and so she was talking to tom and and he was just brilliant and then and so she asked him a question. It's like, oh, and how's Bill enjoying it? And Tom just goes, well, he's sitting right next to me if you want to talk to him. And she was like, yeah, great. And then he came on and it was that. And he is. He's, he, yeah, you're right. You get the feeling. He's like, one, I don't care about the media. Two, I'm just going to answer any question any way I want. And you figure it out from there. And so it was one of those. Look, Bill Murray. How could you not like Bill Murray? Uh, but uh, yeah, so 
I, I, I look forward to you getting him on. <laughs> I, I always, there's a great uh, Bill Murray quote where he was asked about like, you know, people getting into the industry and everything. And he was like, yeah, talk to a lot of young people. They want to be rich and famous. He was like, my advice is try being rich first. That pretty much covers it. So, yeah, you know, it's a good piece of advice probably. We'll try and get him. I mean, who knows? And uh, obviously if we yeah. do, Golf Weekly listeners will get it first. I might mention Ricky Feller. That was one of the last things on my list. So um, obviously Ray's Creek Tours was asking about him. So uh, Ricky Feller, what would you guess his world ranking is now, Peter? Uh, he's outside the top 100. So I'd go 140. Not a bad guess, Fionn. I was going to go like 167 or something like that. 113. Oh, no. I went the other Not way. So I gone. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. <laughs> yeah, thirty-two Got years it. old. Ricky. In terms of trying to figure out what's going on here, the problem I had a bit of a look is that pretty much every statistical category has gone way down. So it's not like oh his driver's gone or oh his putting has gone. It's a complete collapse in every department. So you're now basing it on what he has said, which is always a dangerous game. But what he has said in the last couple of weeks is it's been a bit of everything. A big part of it was playing too much golf swing, which needed to be done early on when I was making changes. But I think that process went on for too long. Now it's about getting back to playing golf and hitting shots. So he was with Butch Harmon, as we know, for a long time. It was 2017. I still feel like it was more recently. It was 2017 when Butch had that famous, you know, we had a talk. Does he want to be a Kardashian or a golfer? So that was 17. He left Butch Harmon in 19, partly because Butch had decided to cut back and travel and Feller was working a little bit with Claude for a while. And then he's gone to a guy called John Tillery. That was last year. Uh, Their goal is to make the swing more efficient and repeatable. I mean, whose goal isn't that? So not much detail on that. Um, Five PGA Tour wins. um, In like last year, you know, kind of sniping at his caddy and, he said he's been finding it hard not to take his troubles home to his wife and been a miserable time. And it was around the Masters as well. He missed the Masters this year, you remember. And Nick Faldo cracked the joke that, oh, well, it'll free him up for his commercial days. And we were talking that Fowler still had a lot of blue chip endorsement deals, Cobra, Puma, Farmers Insurance, Grant Thornton, TaylorMade, Rocket Mortgage, Mercedes. So he spends 25 to 30 days a year with corporate clients. I remember, Peter, you were saying that's a lot as uh, golfers go. But there's no great sign of this turning. There were a couple of good performances of late, but nothing you'd kind of feel like, okay, that's definitely the ship has turned. More glimpses of the fact that he was a bloody good player. Like you remember, he was the next player to win a major for a while. He was like finishing second in them all for a couple of years. Hard to know because you don't see him as much on TV anymore. So you're basing it off quotes and off stats and various things. I don't know, Peter, if you've heard anything or what your read on Feller is. He always had a swing which was kind of you know a bit going on in it I, I always felt he was liable to have a tricky period yeah and I, I i do think he's in this tricky period where he has to decide whether he has to rebuild or um you know a lot you know, I made the statement a while ago about jordan speeth when i said jordan needed some time away from the game uh, he needed time to recuperate, he needed to get his mind back, and he also needed to get his swing back to where he could play golf again. Um, Ricky seems to be in the same boat, has been very successful at a young age, and has now kind of come into the years of you know family, kids, all that matter, um, and golf is kind of down a little bit, the uh, pecking order. And whether he would be better off you know, stop taking the hits that he's taking, get himself out of the press, get himself away from everybody and rebuild and get back to his actual love of the game. I think we all lose that when when things are going badly, we all lose the love of the game and we treat it like a job and, and it becomes hard work. And like anything, when hard work is, you know, facing you every morning, um, when you open up your eyes, you think, cheekers, you know, is this worth it? Um so, yeah, I, I would certainly like to see him take a bit of time out, um, get away from it all. And he does have to fix a few things in his swing. He he, he is too handsy. Um, and that is only consistent when you have confidence. And when you don't have confidence, it can, 
you know, not produce the desired shots that are required so heavily now because he is not the longest in the world. So therefore he's going in with a longer club um, and he has to be more accurate than most. Because my memory or assessment of Fowler is when he first came on tour, he would really, as you said, quite handsy, whip the club back inside very quickly and just made it work by dint of talent and practice and exuberance of youth. And then for a period he had this very exaggerated takeaway, you know, in his routine and it was trying to keep the club head outside of his hands. And you thought, OK, he's getting to grips with this and he's on the right path. So I don't know where he is with that. I mean, maybe I, I like I, I don't see him returning to the whip in the club back the way he was doing in his youth. No, but you don't lose the ability to play. You know, you, you can swing it any which way you want, but you don't lose the ability to get the club back back to the ball square. Um, and Jordan Spieth has proven that um, phenomenally over the last while, um, where he had lost the ability to get the club back square and was hitting these shots that were double bogeys and triple bogeys, where you know they weren't really in his game. Okay, he used to hit the wild shot, but was but had the ability to follow up the wild shot with a very very good shot to get himself back in play, or his putter certainly helped him out. Um, so that's where I would see things going for Ricky. Generally with golf coverage, Fionn, I find the amount of time dedicated to watching putts just very dull and not yeah. least putts from inside five, six, seven, eight feet. But Ricky Fowler was one of those players I could watch putt all day. I just thought it was the most beautiful putting stroke. Yeah. Uh, like gorgeous, kind of just what you would dream of. No tightness just and would, would fire it. Yeah. Holes from all sorts of distance. I'd love to see him back. I really liked him. I thought, you know, I get all the uh, most overrated players voted for by his fellow pros and all that kind of stuff. And there was a bit of jealousy there. But I thought he was a good guy. I thought he was smart. I thought he gave good interviews. And I always liked when he was in the mix and the leaderboard. So I'm actually genuinely, I think it's golf's loss. He's not around. I couldn't agree more. Uh, One of the likable guys and a good player, like whatever. I I liked, I agree. I like watching him put. And I do like, you know, that little, that takeaway where he takes the club just to watch that position. Always like that as well. Mostly because I have similar problems of whipping my hands inside to try and get that turn. So mm. I've always, uh, my wife, my wife is a big fan of him, not his golf, just him. And, uh, although when he grew that mustache, her <laughs> ardor calmed quite a lot. So, where he really won me over was the Ryder Cup photo where everyone was kissing their girlfriend and he gave a yeah. <laughs> pose. Yeah. Yeah. He was still single at the time. Um, we probably should mention uh, Gary Player's wife. I mean, there's not much yeah. to say. It is very sad. Vivian Player, his wife died yesterday, Wednesday. Pancreatic cancer. I always think, Pearl Brian Lenehan, pancreatic cancer. You just don't want that diagnosis. It's um, no. never good. So uh, I didn't realize they met when he was 14 and they were married for 64 years, six children, yeah. 22 grandchildren. So, um, look, I know people have a certain feeling towards Gary Player and all that. And the Player family weren't so good at the Masters, to be fair. But um, I did think, God, that is so sad when you've been together so long. Life's tough. You know, we got to say goodbye I eventually. Cannot, and, and, yeah, you know. I cannot describe the deep sense of sadness I feel at having lost the one person who has always meant the world to me, he said. Mm. And you're absolutely right, regardless of whatever you think about Gary Blair. The fact is, is to lose your life partner 64 years, someone who's been there all along. It's very, very sad. And there was also another sad death uh, or sad. I mean, I'd never, sorry, I don't want to, I don't want to be that guy. But um, so a player called Jason Brigman died uh, a few days ago. At 50, and uh, what he was known for, and I was just reading about him this morning. So he played mostly on, well, the old Nike tour, now the Corn Ferry tour in the mid 90s through the mid 2000s. And he was at Q School. So the incident, and, and Peter, you know this incident, but um, in 1999, he was on the verge of winning his PGA tour card and who knows what that could have meant. It's, it's the sliding doors moment. Um, but he shot a 65 in the final round and he had seven birdies, no bogeys. And then he was interviewed by John Feinstein for golf channel. 
he was playing with a guy called Jay Hobby, and this was at Doral, who wrote down a four instead of a three at the par four, at the par four 13th, but had circled it. So when Brigman looked at the card and counted birdies, he counted seven birdies. Um, and he signed it. So he wasn't disqualified for signing an incorrect scorecard, but he had to take a 66 and missed qualifying by one shot. And so in what potentially was a sliding doors moment, he remained stuck on the secondary tour and never managed to make it up to the big show. And so anyway, yeah, so I just thought, look, of a player that I perfectly honest, I'd never heard of until I just read the brief obituary. Um, I just thought it was one of those little sad stories of golf. And uh, so I just thought that's uh, something I wouldn't mind mentioning. But I said it to mm. Peter before we went live and he knew the story. So. Um, yeah, Jason Brigman, age 50, young man. Mm -hmm. Golf is littered with those brutal stories. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, I don't Some know are never you, heard I either. You, yeah, yeah well, I often think sure. golf should be a bit more flexible about that kind of stuff as well, like the scorecard stuff or the not signed. I, I know it's a slippery slope, but sometimes I just think, oh, come on, can we let common sense come in here? And obviously, golf is militant about that stuff. Sure, look at um, Roberto de, de Vicenzo, isn't it? Roberto, he lost the Masters over, he signed, he, he didn't sign his card or something like that, wasn't it? Yeah, I think that's OTT. Yeah. Yeah. I am a OTT. stupid. His, his absolutely heartbreaking and now oh. super famous comment, I am a stupid. It's even I was I was one year old when that happened or two years old when that happened. So obviously I don't it, it bore. But when you read about it, even even decades later, you're left just feeling that just the pain of that, you know, and also, it's life changing. It's life changing. It it yeah. But but the extraordinary dignity Di Vincenzo, when you read about it, Di Vincenzo showed in managing his disappointment. So, yeah. Anyway, yeah. moving on to a lighter note, a, um, I see the seniors seniors start this week. Paul McGinley's event up in uh, Donegal. What is this event, Peter? This is part of the uh, seniors tour, European tour, seniors tour event, a, um, and it's hosted by Paul McGinley. So you have all amateurs playing. I see a lot of the football stars are playing of right. of the past. I am seeing, I feel like the seniors on my TV a lot more lately. Is this like the heart of the European senior swing or something? Yes. Yeah. yeah. They, they've transformed the seniors tour in uh, in Europe now to be very much orientated with a um, celebrities and a, um, uh, amateurs where nearly the amateurs play the whole week now rather than, you know, just a pro-am. So, mm. um yeah, I look. It's growing. There's certainly far more money gone into it, but a uh, a big week for Paul. I think a um, you know when you're hosting an event like this and you're bringing all your friends, family, sponsors, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Well, based on Lahin, she knows what he's doing. That man, he'll have everything running. He certainly does very well. I would think. Are you getting an itch after, as you're watching the European seniors tour starting to blossom? No, I, I, I unfortunately have a, a, a big eye operation now coming up soon and that'll be a, um, that'll tell me whether I could be able to play golf properly again or not. So. Oh yeah, you were we saying wait well. and see. You're, you're having the operation anyway. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, best of luck with that. I know it's uh it was an option. You could, you could have it or not have it. Couldn't you? Yeah. Look, I've coniosis in my left eye. So I, I, I have very, very little vision out of it. So I either get a uh, a transplant or I, I just leave it alone. So we're going to try it anyway and see what happens. Oh, well, look. Best of luck with that. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Fellas, we are out of time. Somebody, by the way, on the guest ideas on Discord suggested on the back of you and Murray being so good, Ken Brown. Ken Brown's a great chat. We will try and get on to Ken Brown. I think that could be a really good chat. And uh, Tom Coyne will try and nick in the next couple of days as well. The books were meant to be really good, by the way. I still haven't actually read it, but um, it's uh, a course called Ireland, I think. I must uh, check it out in the next while. If you see Bill Murray, tell him to come on the pod. That'd be helpful. Thank you. <laughs> Peter, thanks very much. 
Cheers, guys. Thank you. You're on chat next week. Thanks, Mel. Thanks, guys.